Okay, this is the second part of the EduFlow story that we're recording with uh, the founder of EduFlow, David. And if you haven't listened to episode one, you should check it out. At some point, you start getting other customers besides just like schools and universities. How did that kind of happen? Yeah, I think it was kind of like a, a slippery slope of like a university, like the standard university. Then we had schools, right? And then we had like different types of schools, high schools, middle schools, and so on. Then we get into private schools, and then we get vocational schools, language schools. You get like, uh, you get things that are like kind of like schools, but not really and private. And then uh, you start getting... But like, you were thinking about them as schools or... Yeah, we were thinking of us as a school product. We would write students would be the word we used and teachers would be the name for the... We, today we call them instructors, right? But then we started to see companies come in uh, because we had a pitch about like peer feedback and why that was good. And uh, suddenly we saw companies trying to like use this product for something else. Um, and it was a bit surprising to us. Like, okay, but why would they want like a grading product? They don't want to grade each other in, in a company, right? And they didn't, but they, I think either they would run like almost like schools in the companies, like real, like educational programs, or they would use it for feedback, for example. Like, so, okay, we want to have our employees give each other feedback on something, or we want them to become better leaders. So we want them to like write something about what it means to be a good leader and then see each other's work and give each other feedback. And this was a kind of it weird for us, but also made sense, right? We'd already kind of experienced uh, peer grade being taken to the extremes because the classic use case of peer grade would be like an English essay or a math paper or something, right? But we started seeing like uh, people using it in gymnastics class, right? So they would video record videos of people jumping around and then they would have to grade how well these people were jumping. <laughs> and that was completely bonkers, right? And I was like, don't do this. This doesn't make any sense. Just like, <laughs> just jump, jump in peace. Don't try to digitize this part of, of school. Um, but they would do it, right? And they would use it in music class and and so on. So every time we got a new customer, we, we saw a new use case. And it was kind of fascinating. And then corporate came in and started doing sales training and leadership training and so on. Yeah. And sales training was one of the but like... training, core... training yeah, is so kind like of different than feedback. Training. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But like, um, if you want to train salespeople, right, you want to get them to give better pitches. And a good way to learn to give a good pitch is to record yourself pitching, get some feedback from others, see how they pitch it, and then you you learn by doing, right? Um, so peer grade turned into this learning by doing thing as well, which is today what we focus a lot on, like active learning, social learning, and so on. But basically, everything where you can learn something from actually producing content and by seeing other people produce something, then peer grade is, is useful, right? But all of our copy was schoolish and, and university-ish copy, students, teachers, classes, and so on. Um, but then we started seeing these customers come in. And the first the first really big corporate customer was Google. And that was oh, kind of a... Yeah, <laughs> me too. It was kind of it was so crazy, right? So another normal first around. customer, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is on. <laughs> this is not normal. Like I, I okay, give you that. finally, this yeah, is yeah. kind of okay. funky. Um, we just had the standard like talk to sales, uh, click a click a button here and get like we had a calendar set up to book in, right? 
And then one day a, a booking comes in and it says like at google.com, like uh, sales department. Like, blah, wait, blah. is this a Gmail? <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought, right? I was like, oh, it's Google Mail. That's what I, you can also get Google Mail, I think, instead of Gmail. So I just thought <laughs> it was kind of fake, right? Um, and then they wrote like, uh, I wrote back, hey, looking forward to the call. And they wrote back, hey, yeah, uh, can we do it on Google Meet instead of uh, Zoom or whatever we were using? And I was like, actually, I don't like Google Meet that much. So I would prefer if we could keep it on Zoom. <laughs> And they were like, we would really like it to be on Google Meet. <laughs> okay, I guess I can make it work. And I think here it dawns on me that I'm talking to actual Google. So like talking <laughs> shit about their products is probably not a good first strategy. Oh. Or maybe it wow, was. This guy's maybe honest, yeah. Exactly, He's very yeah. honest, yeah. Like, not a smooth oh, talker shit. at all. Yeah. Trash talking our products. Um, so so yeah, amazing. I go on the demo. They, they were like ready to buy basically from day one here. So it was a pretty simple process. They had decided that they had like 10,000 salespeople that they needed to train and uh, they didn't want them. They didn't want to take quizzes. You can't do a quiz about how to be a good salesperson. So they needed some kind of higher order assessment, they called it. And they could either do that by putting everybody in meeting rooms and having them talk to each other, or they could digitize it and they concluded that peer review was the best way to do that. And then they searched for peer review tools, found us, and thought we were the best. So they wanted to buy. So we did, went directly into procurement and like made a license agreement and and so on. And then they signed up as corporate customers for peer grade. Say something, then. Matt. <laughs> no, the, What's the, on the, your heart? The, <laughs> yeah, that's a great. The greatest part about this is uh, normally I listen to these and I'm trapped as the listener going, this is completely unrealistic. This is not how it goes. You know, sir, you launched Instagram and then a year later you had like 20 million users. So I get to ask this time, like, how did the people at Google find out about this thing, which wasn't even positioned to them? And like, help me feel, did you you ever figure out sort of how they found out about it and decided that it was possible? Yeah, I flew to Boston to figure it out because these were Boston people. So like eventually we, we went over there, me and Simon, and we went to their office for a few days and like asked them one day at lunch, like, why did you buy a peer grade? Like, this makes no sense to us. Mm-hmm. Like, this it cannot be meaningful. Um, so they, they found us by searching on Google, obviously. Um, but um, <laughs> not big. <laughs> one of the things they <laughs> of course they told us here is that they loved our positioning for schools and universities. And the reason they liked that is because they were seeing so much bad software built by people who built software for corporate. And, and this was not pedagogically founded. It was not actually good. It was just like uh, boxes oh, and checklists. And okay. this was they the loved that finally, academic option. Yeah, mm. finally somebody actually thought about how to do peer review well, right? We had a ton of functionality okay. of like flagging and feedback on feedback and all of this like intricate stuff that they're yeah. like, these guys thought about it. And I wrote like three, four papers about peer review as part of my PhD eventually, right? So I nerded full mm. out. And mm. they're like, we like products built for universities because then the academic sure. side is covered. Um, so the authenticity came through and and yeah. and it was there, the, the substance. And you also have a academic culture at a company like Google and possibly many others where a lot of PhDs there, a lot of respect for higher level learning and education, et cetera. So there's a good culture fit, even though... Uh, you were positioned for schools. I think one key, though, to take away is that, thank goodness, 
perhaps the phrase that you use to describe this activity in a school setting is the same one they use in a corporate setting, which is peer review. Yes and no, though. Like no? grade is, okay. a, is the tricky word here. Everybody's okay. always told us that peer grade was the best name ever, except for our mm. customers. They would con- constantly harass us about it because a mm. lot of people don't like the word grading. So they want right. it to be feedback or review. So we got like a weekly request to change the name <laughs> from our customers. Interesting. Uh, and we really wanted to do it, but we couldn't call it purefeedback.io or something, right? So yeah. we always stayed with great, but but that was actually kind of... But peer review, peer feedback, peer assessment, peer editing, okay. it had like 20 names. Uh, yeah. Conceptually, luckily, they found... They still found us, although they would probably call it peer review or peer feedback. And, I think and another so the, takeaway ah, is that people buy software, not companies, right? Because it mm. it spoke to like the kinds of people that work at Google, probably. Yeah, and Google is big, right? It's like hundreds of thousands of people, and this was like the department that ran training for the sales part of Google. And that group had like five people that all went to like Harvard and Stanford and uh, worked in the teaching and learning departments that I mentioned earlier, right? Like these were the people who who we resonated with so they love this kind of technology um, and they could see it implemented in in their programs and then google is a big elephant right so they they actually like working with companies like us that they can like boss around a little bit that sounds a bit harsh to for me to say about our favorite customer right but um since signing the contract with google back then uh, we've made a good chunk of revenue by building custom things for google so they told us that on the first day. We're like, we're going to be the elephant in the room here. We're going to pay you more than your other customers. Um, and we're going to pay you to build different things if you're open to it. But then we also want to seat at the product table, essentially. So they have no power, but but they're like a collaborator almost today on, on a lot of the things we built. Um, awesome. So they were happy that we weren't like a 500-person company who would never do what they say. If they come mm-hmm. and say, can we get this? We'll probably say yes. Um so we both kind of win in this uh, collaboration. When did you add your second, or has there ever been anybody that sort of approached the same level of influence on the product roadmap? Because then it gets really tricky, right? Or more difficult to balance needs. They're, they're bigger than than the others. Uh, we have other customers also paying for functionality. Um, mm-hmm. but, but, but Google is definitely pushing most of that. Um, so you haven't had a lot of resource uh, competition in that sense of uh, product management prioritizing one only thing with our other. own stuff right like that's the challenge if they want like 20 mm. things built in 2022 and we also want to build some of the things we think we should build then <laughs> that that become a, becomes a conflict of like should yeah. we just build all the things google want uh, and get paid for it or should we just build our own stuff which we think is important and then they're very reasonable i love the people at google so we we have found a good solution so far to like get a bit of everything in there i want to make one other comment just like rearview mirror here mm from the beginning of the story till now, you had no idea when you started this, uh, that this, that this would ever be applicable to a Google, right? Like that, that would seem so far fetched at the time, but you like, yeah, that was you, not you found this little activity, this little human activity, behavior, workflow, whatever you want to call it, that hadn't been productized yet. hadn't been turned into good software or at least software that met your needs. But did you like go looking even back then for something that did this, or you just knew from day one, day zero that there was nothing that was going to do this? Because was is there competition? I mean, there has to be competition for this, but 
you maybe came about it so organically that you didn't even know about it, think about it. Um, you just showed up. There was a little bit new. of competition uh, back then as well. There's more now, but back then the competition was these very bad products built by academics uh, as like their own. I was that guy as well, right? But they would not productize it. They would just be like, "This is my open source project. You can like run it on your own." Very yeah. terrible. Or it would be built by like Pearson, and then it would also be terrible. And Interesting. So it was just the first like startup style product version of of this. Um, yeah. But most people I found they didn't do that. They would do it like in Google Forms and like hacking Google Sheets and or like manually like swap papers at the tables. Right. That's how they would run it. So wow. we were the first real product in this space, and then we went like freemium early, right? So we're like. Let's just go mm. freemium and let's just conquer this market. Like classic yeah. startup. I don't know if it's a good idea or a bad idea, but we're just like, we can solve this later, monetize later. Now we just grow. Um, mm. So that also gave us a big edge because the other products were not free. Um, I see. Yes. And in, in these markets, try before you buy is critical. Getting budget approval, developing that buy-in from folks that you want to get this. The free plan, I assume, helps with that. Also, they were just very vocal about the software they use, these teachers, especially in schools. If they have a good day with a piece of software, they'll literally like take pictures of smiling kids and tag us in every tweet. So there was like mm. back in the, in the good peer grade days, we would get maybe five tweets a day organically just like of people working on peer grade on their computers and like smiling at the same time. This was Amazing. super viral. It was so crazy. I have this big notion doc full of these pictures from Twitter of people doing memes and... And just like thumbs up for peer grade, and, and it was so crazy, <laughs> right? Um, they do not do that in corporate learning, unfortunately, which yeah. kind of sucks. Um, yeah, yeah. So that transition began. Did it begin with Google? It did. Kinda. Yeah. Google yeah, was okay. like the first real one, right? And we had like maybe some smaller ones, but but that that really started it. And how did you adapt and, to that uh, feedback? Then you said, okay, wow, that's a big name. It's huge, recognizable, and clearly not in the academic space, let's say. Um, how did you then internal, internally kind of digest that and respond to it and say, this is a bigger opportunity? This isn't a, did you have any kind of uh, wrestling with this? Or was it immediately like, oh, this is exciting. We Let's go attack this other market. Yeah, or like, yeah, did we you still think about them as a, kind of like a school or like... <laughs> No, no, no. They're definitely not. A, they were not a school to us back then. They were kind of the entrance into the corporate learning market. And um, we didn't know what that really meant. Right. We didn't really know. We knew it was useful for sales training at Google, but we didn't know what else it would be useful for and, and, and how we would treat this. So the good thing about this Google collaboration was that they paid us to build features. So they would just like tell us this is we're corporate. This is what we want. And we're like, I guess, you know, more than us. So let's just build those things and then mm. you will hopefully pull us in the right direction it obviously carries some risk but it also like was easy an easy way to prioritize corporate product features um, so we we didn't plan that much we kept trying to plan but we never really managed to follow any of our plans we just did for for the first four years of this business we just built whatever the random person on the intercom said can I have can you do this? No, but we'll build it now. Um, <laughs> and it was just like product prioritization by randomness, right? But mm. I think over a long time, it averages out to be correct. Um, mm. And it's just instant market like reaction. So I think 
you can also do like long visions and roadmaps and so on. And we, every time we try, like we get pulled aside by Google or, or something and we kind of go off track again. But I think it ends up being okay uh, on the long term. You, you had the core built is what I'm taking away because if, if, if someone like that comes along to a company and you're kind of, you have a lot of technical debt, you really are just swamped with all these bugs, little features and things, but there's actually some big thing that you wish you could focus on and do, but you know, the person at intercom is not asking for that. Then that kind of chokes your, that kind of chokes your capacity and you don't get to build what you want to build. But Google here, you had what you wanted and then Google's funding basically the big leaps forward. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they would they would fund some of the things that, that made a lot of sense, right? And, and and we would never prioritize anything with Google that was completely nuts, right? If like if it was not useful at all and like a total distraction, we would say no to it. And everything we build for Google and other customers like them have been for everybody. Everybody can use the features. Unless it's like very specific Google thing. Um but generally it's for everybody. So we've had a good way to like manage this relationship and, and build things that moves the product forward for everybody. But Google gets to decide which order and, and say like, this is this is what we think is important. And we're like, we would probably not build that for a long time. But in theory, it matches in the product. In like the final version of this product in, in 100 years, this would be in there. So we'll build it now because you want it now. That's been the, the way we think about it. Yeah. You sh- you shared with me that you're 12 people and eight of you are working on product and you're kind of like not sure how to feel about that, but at least it makes a ton of sense to me hearing the story about how you got sort of like pulled into this first by the universities and then corporations like freaking Google. Uh, it makes sense why you end up with like more people on the product side and less people on the marketing side and why like... Yeah you were never really like had like it, it sounded like you've tried like different things in marketing that you didn't really like you you always got pulled uh towards product instead and that was enough you know because uh the pull was strong enough from the customers that you kind of just like r- wrote this wave of like a pull in the market feels like yeah maybe not like that but that's kind of the next level of the story right but i guess one of the things about this like a big big product team, right? Twelve people. I'm not one of the product people here, but we're like eight out of twelve of product. And is that we need to be a lot of product people to facilitate this custom work setup where we build a lot of custom features. If we had no developers, like we couldn't do all the things we want and all the things Google wants. So that's kind of like an artificially large product team because we can we're getting funding for that from our customers. Uh, I guess that's one way to look at the kind of. Uh, overly sized uh, product team um but i guess I, I can talk a little bit about like what came next in terms of like the company history right so um i'd always heard about why combinator as kind of the the thing to do uh, if you're really cool and when we applied with my other startup and and got rejected um so i knew it was kind of something i wanted because i don't want to get rejected so uh, i applied again with with peer grade um and i think we got an interview request for like the first time we applied. So that was like, I was pretty stoked about that. To be honest, that was really big for me. This um, is after Google. It's about the same time, I think. I can't remember exactly, but it's it's were around you, the same. Were you able to say Google 
at the interview? No, I don't think so. I don't think we had Google okay. actually at that time. So it was maybe just before Google, which is uh, even more impressive yeah. that we got in, I guess. Um, so we get this like, oh, you can come to uh, San Francisco and pitch. Uh, so like, okay, we we get the flight tickets and we fly out um, and we prepare so much, right? We did all the preparation we could, read all the articles, tested each other on questions and so on. And then it's all the hype that they tell you about, right? You go there, you get 10 minutes with some random partners and we brought all these materials with us, all these like testimonials and so on. And we never had time to show them, right? Um, but they really liked it apparently. So we, we got kind of, we got the yes on the evening and we were just sitting there in silence at a bar just waiting for the phone to ring and then got in and we got really excited and, and drank some champagne. And I guess kind of, I talked about it a bit earlier as well, like what worked in that interview was like, they would ask us about the story. We would have all the standard things like co-founders, technical team, solve your own problem. Like a lot of the like standard YC good things. We had we had those on our on our list, right? But then every time they would ask us about something, there was there was a guy in that interview from Kickstarter who was like doing data science at Kickstarter. And he would ask us like, but how do you then get make sure the feedback is good. Oh, but then we have like feedback on the feedback. Ah, that's interesting. What do you do with that? And then we had this like long technical conversation and he was like, that's so interesting. So I think we managed to give some feeling of like, there's something here that's interesting. We don't know if it's a good business in 10 minutes, but like these guys thought about this a lot. They have a few customers. This is what we take chances on. Um, yeah. And, and so we got in that's with great. like a, Let's see what happens. They have some revenue and they're thinking a lot about something. Maybe they'll pivot one day, but but it's a good bet. Um, I, I I like that. It's uh, you often hear about fundraising stories as the slam dunk. Of course, you want to invest. There's this huge you know stampede to the term sheet. Never wants to invest. That, that's great. But I've also seen it work, especially at the earliest stage, where if an investor just can't quite get you out of their head or just can't quite get comfortable with saying no you know, because there's something here, like they can't even quite explain it. Um, because I think you had the depth to be able to answer these things. They weren't able to really, it was like an unresolved chord. They weren't really able to go away from that meeting going, oh yeah, we, we, we understand it better than them. You know, we're the smart ones. They have things to learn. Mm -hmm. They probably left going, okay, they know more than we do about this. And that, that's kind of unsettling for smart people sometimes. Like that's enough to make and, them question themselves. Yeah. yeah. And there was a few tidbits of examples of something potential in the idea. We had this guy at the University of Copenhagen with a big uh, economy course. And he like, quoted. He was quoted for saying that they saved $50,000 a year by using peer grade because they could like replace so many TAs with this. And this that guy, his testimonial alone was like, if that's true, if like one course can save fifty thousand dollars a year using this software, like there's small a small chance that actually scales, and that's actually true in general. But if it's true, this is amazing. Like this is a huge business, and and we had like one or two of these, and they're like, we have to take the chance on this conceptual yes. idea that that peer grading potentially replaces all grading. That was what they they talked to us about later, right? Like we don't necessarily think that's true, but if it is then we want to invest in that, right? Um, because then it's so big. And that was kind of thinking bigger than us, I think, even at that time. That's not how we thought about it. But they're like, maybe that's a future like this, and then we want to be in on it. Yeah. That's rare that the vision, 
like you said in the earlier days, there wasn't much of a vision other than just make it a little better and grow a little bit more. And then you met these investors who are, their job is to look for people who have a small chance of being a billion dollar company. And they almost brought some vision to the table and said, maybe you guys don't, maybe this is bigger than you guys even realize. And that's the story. But it's funny because a lot of investors will just hear something. And if there's not that, they'll just pass because like they're not going to bring their own vision to the to the offering. But you had such strong traction. That I was talking to Michael Seibel, right? I was walking next to him from one lunch to the other. I didn't have that much time with him, but I tried to mm. pitch him peer grade walking across the street. And first I told him about it as like better feedback for students. And he was like, it's never going to work, David. I'm sorry, but it's like a bad idea. They, I was like, oh shit. Like <laughs> we just got into wise here. Now Michael Seibel telling me it's a terrible idea. And he's like, it's not going to sell. Like it's, it's all, it sounds good with better teaching and so on, but it doesn't make sense. Like it's not going to really get money on the table. And then I was like, oh, yeah, I guess we also had this like time-saving component and like, money. And he's like, okay, this could be huge. Like, this is the pitch mm. you have to go with. And I was like, mm. what? Like, No, but the teachers won, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, there's a potential for a future where this replaces grading, right? And, and I don't know if it's going to happen, but you can convince me that there is this future. And, and, and that, that's, the, that's the way you have to go about it. I don't know if that's mm. true, but that was Michael Seibel's take, at least, is that... Yeah. He saw a big future that, that I didn't see, uh, at least. So, yeah. yeah. Very interesting. So, yeah, we went to we went to our combinator. Eight people, uh, one apartment, one bathroom, uh, three bedrooms. I shared a, bath, a bedroom with Pamela, our marketing intern, um, for three months. It was so cold and it was a total mess, right? We all have PTSD from that uh, period in San Francisco. But it was also kind of <laughs> very, very good bonding experience, right? Like Mel just slept in a bunk bed with one of our developers and uh, <laughs> it was so crazy. Uh, so. What, uh, what was the, what did it give you that, uh, other than PTSD? <laughs> what yeah, you... nothing at all, I think, honestly. So it was kind of, <laughs> it was kind of weird, right? So everybody goes to YC because they think you can get a lot of advice. And you can do a lot of growth during the batch. That's what everybody thinks about. Like, okay, we want to grow yeah. to demo day and like become exponential. Um, and we, we couldn't figure out how to take advice, as I said. So we couldn't really use advice for much. Um, and the problem is we went to this in the summer batch. This was like July and June and so on. Every institution in education is closed. Everybody was on summer vacation. Oh. Like all of our customers were gone. And every time we set yeah. up a meeting, they're like, no, we can't meet. Maybe we can meet in September. We're like, oh, we're back in Denmark in September. So I had like two meetings in three months. Everybody was gone. So we just huh. decided to like put post-its on the wall and just code, 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 code. Okay. Everybody would just be programming and mm. I would be running around like an, an idiot in San Francisco trying to like meet some people to talk to. But it yeah. was, from that perspective, it was pretty useless to be in SF um, and at YC. We yeah. got a lot of friends. We got a big network. Uh, and that's what mattered a lot after the network and the demo day. Demo mm. day is insane, right? It's so well constructed. So mm. the YC brand, the demo day orchestration, it was very easy for us to go and raise some money afterwards, which we wanted to do. Um, when we went back to Denmark, we were like the th third or fourth Danish YC company ever, right? So we suddenly every mm. door would open. We still had to do a good pitch to get money, but we would always get the meeting because we were YC. Um, I think that helped. That helped us a lot. And it was just a mm. big win for me personally, I think. It was like, 
like I got into YC and that was pretty cool. Like I, I was very proud of, of myself and of us, I think. So that helped a lot yeah. motivationally. Nice. You, did, do you think that you're in a, you're, do you think the difficulties of getting feedback f- from even such legendary, uh, if you will, advisors, mentors, was it because you had made so much progress? Like they just didn't have the context that you had because you had so much traction and experience in the market or, uh, yeah. Why do you think that was? Yeah, I think it's a lot about that, right? Uh, to give good feedback, you need to understand things pretty well. Otherwise, it's hard to accept feedback because you're like, but you don't know. You don't know well enough to give me this feedback. If you just knew our market, if you just knew our customers and so on. So that was right. part of it. Um, and then it was also just a sunk cost fallacy, right? Of like, we've already invested so much in this idea, this strategy, this positioning that if we yeah. suddenly change from education to corporate, what do we do with all of our customers, right? We're making all of our money from education. So sure. that pivot will kill the business. And sometimes you have to like change a uh, mountaintop, right? And it's it's very hard to, to, to make that bigger jump, take that bigger risk. Mm. Uh, the bigger the business gets, the harder it is to to pivot, right? Um, mm-hmm. So that and took Google us a long just, time to work with. Google had just... Uh, come to your intercom or inbox uh right around the same time or yeah were you starting yeah about so the same was, time was that post-it notes and coding was any of that driven by them or no uh, that was remember? actually school a lot of school uh, stuff we built during yc to like go okay. more into the school market um interesting yeah so because th- it feels like yc kind of saw this like vision of uh, a product that would kind of stay in the university slash school niche but you kind of went in a slightly different direction, the more corporate direction. Maybe yeah, I think that happened like right right after YC. Thing. Maybe that we started going really corporate. Um, we were still kind of the school product at YC and in the in the broad school sense, right? We were building like school grading features um, back then. So did you and do then, a pitch at demo day? Yeah. Okay, and was that pitch was that pitch school focused still, or were there elements of corporate? It was mainly school focused. Like, so I did my pitch, and I had this market slide. I remember where I was like, "There's this many university departments in the world. This is what we charge per university department. Like, this is the market size, and that market mm-hmm. size was good." And then I said, "And beyond that, we have schools, we have uh, business schools, and we have corporate learning. I so see. the market There's is actually more. like <laughs> four times bigger than that, or, or something like that." Sure, um, we're focused so on. Kind of a, we're focused yeah, for now, but if we ever want to, we're, we're focused on this huge niche that's big enough in and of itself. It was yeah, a really good slide, more. actually. I'm very proud of that slide. It was like a really nice uh, click in of like this is the market size calculation, this billions of dollars, but it's just a fourth. Boom, and then you, we moved on. So uh, that worked quite well. But back then, it was yeah. kind of higher education departments was like the the customer persona we were talking about at YC. Got it. So now I need to know how you finally transitions what the hell happened then yeah David, exactly. now? <laughs> because yeah. because so far i've been trying to find you know the sort of the poke holes in your your sort of mm. focus here and yeah that starts to erode at some point okay so after yc we went back to denmark and we started just like working again and we just like started to try to sell more and scale this and then...